Matthew chapter 27, verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, the written charge against him, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right side and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross, if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of the Jews. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Namasadmakni, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Good morning, everyone. Do turn back to Psalm 22. When you found that, we'll pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for us. Lord, take us deeper into the truth of the cross. Minister your word to us, we pray, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago in the news, two young children, two brothers, aged seven and nine, went missing in the Amazon rainforest, an area 25 times bigger than the UK. What hope is there of finding two such young children when danger lurks around every corner? This was a cause for very great despair, and yet there was hope. 260 people went out looking for the boys, and after 26 days, they were found alive, rescued from a hopeless situation. Today we see the triumph of hope. What's the worst experience you've been through? May have been a bereavement or an illness or the suffering of a loved one or some other dreadful time. What confidence can we have that God still loves us and God cares?
On his 39th birthday, the poet Christian Wyman was diagnosed with incurable blood cancer. He wrote frankly about the effects of his illness and the treatment. I've had bones die and bowels fail, he said. Joints lock in my face and arms and legs so that I could not eat, could not walk. I have passed through pain I could never have imagined. Pain that seemed to incinerate all my thoughts of God and to leave me sitting there in the ashes alone. When the diagnosis came, Wyman was a rising star in the literary world and the editor of a prestigious poetry publication. Though Wyman confessed, his Christian faith had evaporated in the blast of modernism and secularism to which I was exposed in college. The diagnosis started a journey that ultimately led him back to God. It wasn't a particular doctrine that drew him back to the faith, but Wyman found a friend in the suffering Messiah. I am a Christian because of that moment on the cross when Jesus, drinking the very dregs of human bitterness, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The point is that God is with us, not beyond us in suffering. I am a Christian because I understand that moment of Christ's passion to have meaning in my own life. And what it means is that the absolute solitary and singular nature of extreme human pain is an illusion. I'm not suggesting that ministering angels are going to come down and comfort you as you die. I'm suggesting that Christ's suffering shatters the iron walls around individual human suffering. In the face of brutal, isolating pain, we don't really want answers. We want a person. At such times, there is simply no substitute for the presence of Christ. Psalm 22 is an extraordinary prophecy. As Sam said earlier, written a thousand years before Jesus' crucifixion. 700 years before crucifixion was even invented. Of course, originally, Psalm 22 describes the experience of King David. It's then fulfilled in Jesus. Finally, it gives us hope. So those are my three headings this morning. David's experience, Jesus' experience, and our hope. Firstly, then, David's experience. David is a man of great faith. He shows us how to be honest with God, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a terrible thought. How could God forsake his king? How could God forsake any of his children? And yet all of us at some stage go through experiences when God seems so far from saving us so far from our cries of anguish. At some time, 
we all experience, verse 2, crying out to God, but hearing no answer, having no rest at night. And yet, David doesn't give up believing, verse 3, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. God has proved trustworthy in the past, verses 4 and 5. In you our ancestors put their trust. To you they cried out and were saved. Therefore, David believes God can be trusted in the future. But nonetheless, David is going through terrible anguish. He's dehumanized. He's a worm and not a man. He is scorned and despised and mocked, insulted. And his faith is mocked, verse 8. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But David refuses to give up hope. From the womb, from birth, you have been my God, verse 10. Verse 11. Do not be far from me. David is surrounded by enemies like bulls or lions. He's poured out like water. He's suffering physically. His bones are out of joint. He's desperately thirsty. But you, Lord, do not be far from me, verse 19. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me. Rescue me. Save me. Here is David in the depths of despair and yet still praying. Feeling abandoned but still trusting in God. And maybe that's something you can relate to. Maybe nobody knows the darkness you've been through or are going through right now. But the extraordinary thing is that what David goes through, Jesus takes to another level. Jesus, who is God Almighty, leaves the glory of heaven where he's worshipped and adored and comes willingly to enter into our suffering. Somebody said to me the other day, where is God in the Ukraine crisis. The truth is that human suffering is a problem for faith. How can God allow suffering when he's good and loving? This is a question believers have grappled with from the earliest times. One big part of the answer is that God willingly, lovingly, chooses to enter the suffering of our world in the person of Jesus. And that brings us secondly to Jesus' experience. Jesus directly quotes this psalm as he hangs dying on the cross. If it's surprising that God's King David should cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's even more astounding that God's own Son, 
the Lord Jesus Christ should experience this. Tim Keller, the preacher, says, If after a service some Sunday, one of the members of my church comes to me and says, I never want to see you again or talk to you again, I'll feel pretty bad. But if today my wife or my lifelong best friend came up to me and said, I never want to see you again or talk to you again, I would be devastated. The longer the love, the deeper the love, the greater the torment of its loss. But the forsakenness experienced by Christ on the cross, the relational loss was between the Father and the Son who had loved each other from all eternity. Jesus was experiencing judgment day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a rhetorical question. And the answer is, for you, for me, for us. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. The judgment that should have fallen on us fell instead on Jesus. The Lord Jesus experienced this forsakenness. He cried out in anguish from the cross. Why was God so far from saving Jesus? So far from Christ's cries of anguish? Was it not that he loved us? God so loved the world that he gave his only son to come and die in anguish on the cross. But it's not just the physical suffering of the cross that causes Jesus' pain. Crucifixion is the most excruciating torture. But Jesus suffered spiritually for us as he is loaded up with the sin of the world. That's why God forsakes him on the cross. Jesus is punished for the sins of the world. The holy God, who is righteously, justly angry with human sin, pours out his wrath onto Jesus on the cross. And there he's forsaken by God. God punishes Jesus in our place because God loves us. Jesus loves us. Jesus willingly chooses to be forsaken by God for our sake. Jesus is the one who is enthroned as the Holy One, verse 3, and yet he expresses his kingship by dying on the cross. Jesus is dehumanized. Jesus becomes like a worm 
and not a man. Jesus is scorned by everyone. He is despised. He is mocked. Those who passed by hurled insults at Jesus, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. These prophecies are very precisely fulfilled in Matthew 27. Jesus was surrounded by enemies, strong bulls of Bashan, roaring lions that tear their prey. It was said of Jesus, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Jesus thirsted on the cross. And then astonishingly, Jesus fulfills verse 16. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. The Bible says elsewhere, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It's quite extraordinary that David prophesied this. Verse 17 was true of Jesus. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. And then verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. This is literally fulfilled in Matthew 27, 35, where the Roman soldiers divide up Jesus' clothes and cast lots for it. Jesus is forsaken by God. He suffers almost indescribably. All so that we should not have to. Jesus is forsaken by God on the cross so that we need never be forsaken by God. God may seem far off, but he will never leave us or forsake us. Good Friday reminds us of all that Jesus went through for our sake because he loves us. And that brings us thirdly to our hope. I don't know if you've seen the film Armageddon. It focuses on Harry Stamper, played by Bruce Willis. Stamper's been called upon to take part in a last-ditch mission to save the human race from a massive asteroid on a collision course with planet Earth. Landing a space shuttle on the surface, Harry and his compatriots drill a hole deep into the asteroid's core and drop into it a nuclear bomb that might just split the asteroid in two and make its halves miss the Earth. The climactic moment 
when the charge has been set and the shuttle is about to lift off, something goes terribly wrong. And it becomes clear that someone will have to stay behind and manually detonate the bomb. Without hesitation, Harry Stamper chooses that job. In the final minutes, Harry speaks by video phone to the command centre in Houston and says his last words to his daughter, Grace, played by Liv Tyler. With tears streaming down her cheeks, the daughter burbles to her dad, Everything good I have inside of me, I have from you. I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. And I'm so scared. There won't be anything to be scared of soon, Harry assures her. I love you, Grace. And then the asteroid erupts in a blinding explosion, fractures in two, and careens clear of our planet as the saved of the earth explode in cheers. The Bible teaches that God saw the consequences of sin and evil hurtling at human life like an unstoppable force. Unlike the main character of the film, God himself would not have been destroyed if he did nothing. Unlike the Hollywood tale, this destruction was actually the just deserts of a planet that had forsaken its creator. But at a level infinitely larger than the love of Harry Stamper for his daughter, God the Father and God the Son looked with compassion at the children of this earth and chose to intervene in a way that required a cataclysmic self-sacrifice. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can pray verse 19 with confidence. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me, verse 20. Rescue me, verse 21. Jesus fulfills verse 22, according to the writer to the Hebrews. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. Jesus becomes the great worship leader. He declares God's name to us, and he leads us in our praises of God. And so our hope is, that we will fear the Lord, verse 23. We will praise him. We will honour him. We will revere him. We may go through times of great blackness, times of despair, but we will come out of those times praising God, verse 24. For he is not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. David felt forsaken. Jesus 
was forsaken. But our hope is that God will never hide his face from us. God will always listen to our cries for help. And so, verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. Because of Good Friday, because Jesus was forsaken for us, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Verse 27. How we've seen this in the 2,000 years since Jesus died and rose again. So many families of the nations have bowed down before him. And Jesus assures us the gospel will be preached to the whole world before he returns. For 28, dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Jesus does rule over the nations and he will ensure that every single one of his people from all the nations of the world will be with him in heaven. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. Verse 29. This is describing heaven, that great heavenly banquet when Jesus will eat and drink with his people in the new creation. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. There will be life after death. Posterity will serve him, verse 30. Future generations will be told about the Lord. Here we are, 2,000 years later, telling people about the Lord, serving Christ, proclaiming his righteousness, verse 31. Why? Because he has done it. Where have we heard that phrase before? It's the same words that Jesus proclaims from the cross. It is finished. He has done it. Jesus has finished the work of paying for our sin on the cross. And therefore, we have great hope. We might be going through the experience of King David right now. We may feel forsaken by God, abandoned by God. But that's not the ultimate truth. The truth is that Jesus was forsaken by God so that we need not be. We can have every confidence that in the end, we will be praising God. We will be with God in heaven, feasting and worshipping, led by Jesus himself.